0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. If you're new here, first I want to welcome you. I've looked around this morning in both of our services and seen some new faces, and, or if you're a guest you're visiting because a child got dedicated or you just wanted to come and be a support, we want to welcome you. And we're um, privileged and we're honored. We see you as a special guest and in the same way, when you welcome someone into your home and you feed them, we welcome you into our home. We hope that you're getting fed. Uh, if you are a guest with us for the first time, you get a free coffee, so make sure you don't leave here today without getting that coffee. Um, the other thing is that if you're new here, you wouldn't know this, but we've been on a, in a series in the Bible, in the book, the New Testament book called Galatians. And so we're going to continue in that series today. And uh, our series that we're doing is called Galatians, Good News of Grace. Good News of Grace. And today's message, the title of it is, We Become God's Children and Heirs of His Promises Through Faith in Jesus. So we're going to learn about the fact that all that put trust in Jesus Christ are God's kids. Amen? Now listen, I'll just say this to clear up confusion that people often ask, in a general sense, All human beings are what what are known in Latin as the imago Dei, the image of God, imago Dei. But, and all of humanity are God's children because God is the giver of life. But there are those who are twice born, those who are born again, born a second time, born from heaven, who have put trust in Jesus Christ, who are born into the family of God and adopted as children of God. And and so that's what we're going to talk about today, how do you get kind of adopted into the family of God? How do you come in as a child of God in the family of God and then inherit all that God has for you? Now, Lee Eklov is, a, is an author and a pastor, and he shares this story. Um, in 2005, the Chicago Tribune had a special supplement in their newspaper. is a very long supplement, and it um, was published by the Illinois State Treasurer's Office, and this this supplement was trying to get in touch with people to give to people the money that they weren't claiming, to give back to people the money that belonged to them. You see, I guess in every state and all across the country, there are literally billions of dollars that lay unclaimed that people never go you know take they're like an inheritance that they should have received and they've never received it. and uh, it was these things were contained in. Um, forgotten bank accounts, security deposit checks, uncashed paychecks, dividend checks, safety deposit boxes, more than a billion dollars in the state of Illinois 15 years ago was owed to nearly 5 million people and businesses, and the treasurer's office couldn't trace the people. And so the front page of the supplement listed the names and the last known addresses of 10 individuals or couples who were each owed over $100,000. And what followed were 116 pages packed tightly with 113,000 names of people owed more than $100 each in cash or in stock. Think about that. Right now, out there in our country... There are billions of dollars that are unclaimed, and some of you sitting here in this room might be a recipient of an inheritance that you don't even know about. Maybe it's only $100, but maybe it's $100,000, and you're not even aware of it. And that's very similar. It's kind of a shame that that's a reality, but it's very similar to the condition that many Christians, many of God's children, find themselves in because we don't take advantage of God's promises. We don't realize that we have an inheritance. We don't realize that we've been enriched with so much that we don't tap into. Many times it's because we're not looking for it. You know, here are people that should have received something, but they never looked for it. They weren't even where they were supposed to be, right? And many of us right now, I mean, the time that we live in challenges us to be very careful about what we look at. What are you looking at? Where are you drawing the source of your life from? Are you looking to heaven? Are you looking to Jesus? Are you looking to God? Or do you find yourself looking around at the flood within society, within culture of information that makes you afraid, makes you anxious, makes you angry? Where are you looking? Because there's an inheritance for you if you look to Jesus Christ. So today we're going to find out about our inheritance. We're going to see that we're sons and daughters of an infinitely wealthy king who died for us. Think about it. A king died for a people who were enslaved. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of the gospel message. We're going to find out that he came to share a kingdom with us. He came to share an inheritance with us. But we're also going to find out that his law and his commandments have been like a guardian or even like a prison to us, to show us right and wrong, but ultimately to lead us to our need for a Savior, to lead us to Jesus Christ. We're going to find out that Jesus came to rescue us, not only from the power of sin, but our inability to keep the law. We're going to learn that today. And we're going to learn that we have a great inheritance because we are King's kids We are God's children. We are sons and daughters with a great privilege and a great inheritance. Amen? All right. Last week we learned that when we receive God's promise and inheritance, it's by faith, not by law-keeping. We learned that we don't get from God the things He has for us because we dance the dance, jump through the hoops, and keep all the rules perfectly. And and that's really important for us because many of us have grown up in backgrounds where being a rule keeper was everything, right? And just think about it. You know, I was sharing this with the first service. A lot of times when we think about rule keeping and we think about laws and we think about commandments, we think about the Ten Commandments, we think about biblical laws, but, but we don't realize that all of us construct law systems constantly and we require ourselves and others to jump through those laws. Think about it. How many of you have family rules? How many of you parents have rules in your household? And you should. It's good. I just want you to know. Your kids need boundaries, don't they? They need boundaries. That's part of raising children. If you don't give them boundaries, oh Lord Jesus, help us. Because they're going to grow up, become adults, and terrorize the world. That's true, right? So we give them boundaries. We give them rules. But some of us even have kind of law codes and rule codes that we make up in our own mind, and you know it's true because every relationship that you let into your life, the reason they're in your life is because they met your rules. Come on, think about it. You have your own rules in your head. You decide who you want to be with, who you want to spend time with, who makes it, who, who makes the grade, who gets through into your life right some you know i just the other day i went over to someone's home and i walked into the door and they said take your shoes off darn it so i took my shoes off now i could have been like no i am an anti-shoer but i didn't i took my shoes off now i could have i could have pushed back right i could have pushed back i could have made a big issue of it but i went ahead and went along with it I, I worked within the framework of their structure and of their rules. And we all do it. We all do it in our lives. We constantly are making rules that people have to pass through in order to meet our grade. And if they don't, we won't have a relationship with them. We might say, praise the Lord, brother. Good to meet you. So glad I got to know you from a distance. Bye but we won't let people in. And so rules and law codes are a part of what it means to be human. But here's where we get into trouble. We get into trouble when we think that if we keep all the rules just right and we live a good little Christian life and we behave really good and we do everything just right, then God's gonna let us in. We don't recognize, first of all, it's impossible to do that. And secondly, when we do that, It's as though we say of Jesus and his cross, not good enough. That's not the way. My way is the way. So we're gonna really get more in depth into that right now. I want you to look at Galatians chapter three, verses 23 through 29. I'll be reading in the New Living Translation. And again, the, the key idea here is we become God's children and heirs through our faith in Jesus. Look at verse 23. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Let's break this down and let's look at this because it's a powerful text of Scripture. The first thing this text says is that the law was our guardian and we are in its custody. Almost like a jail. Now you remember last week I put a mirror up here. I put two mirrors up here. I put one body length mirror and one mirror that you look at to see all of your problems. You know those mirrors that women use to put their makeup on. I remember I said last week I don't know why anybody would want to see their face that close. That's just terrifying. And I made the point that you know the law is like a mirror, and when we look in the law, it shows us ourselves and it it points out our flaws. It shows us our need. You know you can you can find out you know things about yourself that you couldn't see without a mirror. Right? You. you you look at the mirror and it shows you your need to change. It shows you what you need to fix. But the mirror itself can never fix you. It can never make you right. And that's what the law does. That's what the commandments do. Well, the law and the commandments are also a sort of prison until faith in Jesus sets us free. The law and the commandments are also like a guardian And this word for guardian is a Greek word that describes a tutor, a guardian, or an instructor in ancient Roman times who would take care of the children of the household. You see, in Roman culture, they estimate that anywhere from one-third to one-half of the entire population were slaves. And so a, a family, a wealthy Roman family, would have slaves in their homes, and, and one of those, if they had male children, they would have male slaves, or female children, female slaves, that would actually take the charge of the children. After the children had been weaned, the children would be put in the care of these slaves, and these slaves would raise them until they came into the age that was considered adulthood. And these slaves had a lot of authority. They told these children everything they had to do. They made them behave, and if they disbehaved, they had the authority to use corporal punishment and to beat them, literally to beat them. And so, Paul, when he says that the law is like a guardian and you're put in its custody, you're put in its care, he is comparing that. That's the Greek word for guardian. So, this guardian would instruct and care for the boy until they came, or girl until they came to the age of manhood. And they were in the custody of this guardian as though they were in prison. And this guardian could be a strict disciplinarian as well. And so the Old Testament law code was like a guardian that had custody of us. The law instructs us in what is right and what is wrong, what God expects of us, what pleases Him, what does not please Him. The law gives us a portrait of morality and ethics, but it cannot change us from within. So the law is in our life to kind of keep us in line. And so it serves a good function. All of us need that, but it can never save us. It can, never, it can only lead us to our need. It can only point out to us how desperate we are without a Savior. Now, I've been saying this over and over the last several weeks, and I hope you're getting it. I hope you're understanding how much you need a Savior. Because we have a tendency to want to be our own saviors. You see, we believe we own our own lives. We believe we are in charge. We believe that without even realizing it, We are our own Lord and Savior. And you you see that by the way we live. Because when we face the real issues of life, who do we put our trust in to ultimately bail us out? Right? Sometimes we put our trust in MasterCard. And what are we saying? We're ultimately saying I'm trusting myself. I'm not trusting God. Are you with me? Okay, so... The second thing we see from this text is that we are children of God through faith in Jesus alone. In Roman culture, when a boy or a girl came of age, they were no longer under the custody of their guardian, but they, and when they became a mature son or daughter with all the privileges that came with sonship, they were considered an adult in the community, and all the inheritance, all the privileges of what it meant to be a son or a daughter came to them. But up to that point, they had no true benefits. In fact, what's interesting is that a son or a daughter in Roman culture was almost seen like a slave until the day that they came into full sonship. And that's what happens to us when we continue to look to the law alone to save us. And then what happens is when we trust in Jesus, we're no longer a prisoner of our own sin, but we are now sons and daughters and we become family. And then the scripture goes on to say, we are now united with Christ through faith and baptism. When we're publicly baptized, and we do this around here, we have a baptism tank right over here. When we're publicly baptized, we demonstrate our union with Jesus. In His death, we go down in the water. In His burial. In His resurrection, we come out of the water, and we show that we are no longer under the custody of a guardian, but now we've come into newness of life in Jesus Christ and into full sonship. And and so being baptized is our way of saying we have trusted Jesus alone through his death, burial, and resurrection. We are now children of God and we now stand as mature ones who are able to inherit all that God has for us. We are heirs of a great inheritance because we have identified with what Jesus Christ has done for us in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Amen? Amen. And so that's why baptism is so important. It's the most important first step after we put faith in Jesus. In baptism, we demonstrate a spiritual reality that happens when we put our faith in Jesus. And He comes to indwell us. And we clothe ourselves in Him. And we become one with Him. You see, when you are water baptized, you are showing the world what has happened to you internally. You are saying, I trust you alone, Jesus. I trust your cleansing alone. I trust that your blood shed on the cross washed my sin away. I trust that your burial was me dying. With you, I trust that your resurrection was, I joined you. When I came out of the water, I came out in newness of life. And I trust that now my standing with you, I'm covered with you. I'm clean because of you. I'm new in you because I trust you and you alone. I've identified with your life, with your death, with your burial, and with your resurrection. And now I'm one with you because of what you've done for me. And so that becomes our identity. And then the text goes on to say, now we put on Christ like new clothing. We wear him. The Bible Knowledge Commentary says this, in the Roman society, when a youth came of age, they were given a special toga, which admitted them to the full rights of the family and the state and indicated they were a grown-up son. So when we put on Christ after salvation, we put on Christ like a toga, and that toga, that was, you know, when, when a young man or young woman would put on that toga, when a young man would put on that toga, he would walk out into society and society would say, they're a man, they're a full citizen of Rome, we, we recognize them as an adult, as a son, they are going to be an heir to all that their father and mother own, it's theirs now. They would recognize Him. Well, when we come to faith in Christ and we're baptized and we trust Him, we come out of that tank and we begin that new life in Jesus Christ, we put on Christ-like clothing and we begin to live actually from the inside out. You see, it's like we clothe ourselves with Christ from the inside out. We put on Christ. We make a conscious decision with the help of the Holy Spirit from within to begin to act and live as He would. We align our will with His will, and we let Him begin to live His life out of us. Our identity actually becomes Christ. uh, Let me say that again. Our identity actually becomes Jesus Christ. And so when when, when you become a Christian, there's so much more than just, you know, mental assent. Okay, I believe this, I believe this, and I believe this, therefore I'm in it's so much more than that. What happens is God comes and works a miraculous thing in your spirit, in your heart, in your will. He changes you and your body becomes a dwelling place for God and the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit comes to indwell you and the Holy Spirit begins to live out the holy life of Jesus Christ in you so that you're not just trying to behave and be good by the works of the law, but now the one who is holy lives in you and leads you to holy living. And he becomes your very identity. And that's really important because if you look at the next verse, the next part of the verse, look what it says. It it says, our new status is that we belong to Christ and are one. Will you put up verse 28? Edward, look at what it says there. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, is Paul saying you don't have a unique identity? No, he's not saying that. He understands, and God understands. God made us male and female. God made us all of these different things, right? But what he's saying is we have a tendency to base our identity so much. In fact, think about it. We live in a time of identity politics. We live in a time when everything comes down to what? It comes down to race, ethnicity, class, gender. Well, Paul is saying, look... When you came to faith in Jesus and you began to follow him, all that stuff passed through a a filter. And that filter is called the cross. And when you came through that cross, your new identity is now Jesus Christ himself. Not all those other things that you make the main issue. The main It doesn't mean you quit being a female or a male. It doesn't mean you quit being Hispanic, black, or white. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it means, though, is that's not your main identification now. My main identification is none of that. My main identification is I have bowed my knee to the king of the nations, and his name is Jesus, and I belong to him. The scripture says he purchased me with blood, and my identity is now, I stand in Christ above everything else, and now that is the thing that I fight for most, I don't fight for national identity, I don't fight for ethnic identity, more than anything else, I fight for the fact that I am a follower and a son of Jesus Christ, that's what the scripture teaches, and it's beautiful, and then it says this, and this is what's so important, and really what we have to fight for, church, is that we now belong to God and we have the most privileged status as children and we are one. This time that we live has done more to rip members of the body of Christ apart than any time I've lived in my lifetime. And I just want to make an appeal to you in a time Where everybody has an opinion and a debate and everybody can cite an article or give a reason for why they believe what they believe. Can I just say something to you? If you make whether or not to wear a mask or not wear a mask an issue of your personal freedom or national freedom or the government's authority, fine, do that. But don't make it an issue to divide with members of the body of Christ. If you make the issue of whether Trump won or Biden won and your politics, if your identity are in politics and not in the gospel and in Jesus, you're missing something. And if you're finding that you're dividing from fellow believers because of your political stand and you think that's a hill higher to die on than the hill of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have missed something. And I believe you are allowing something to rip you from relationships that Christ would never allow. Because Jesus said this in the time that he lived during the Roman Empire. He said, my kingdom, it comes without observation and it's of another world. Now my first loyalty, I love America. I'm an American citizen. I would consider myself a patriot. But I'm going to tell you what, my patriotism and love of country is way below my commitment to Jesus of Nazareth and his kingdom. That's the only eternal kingdom eventually America will fall like every civilization in history nations rise, nations fall, civilizations come and go but the gospel of the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven will move on through every single generation through all time and civilizations will come and go on the dustbin of history but the gospel of the kingdom will endure and the people of God will endure no matter if they suffer, no matter if they die, no matter if they become martyrs, no matter if they're persecuted, our identity is jesus christ more than anything else and that's what paul's saying i know he didn't quite say that it's in there if you look in the original greek right he he says look look at this again there is no longer jew or gentile slave or free male and female for you are all one in christ jesus you are all one in christ jesus And look, I'm going to tell you, you think Republican-Democrat's a big thing to divide over. In that time, Jew-Gentile? Slave-free? Think about it. Jew-Gentile? Jews wouldn't even eat in the home of a Gentile. Oh, by the way, Gentiles returned the favor. They didn't have Jews in their home. They separated from each other. Every ethnicity separated, stayed apart. Oh, slave and free? If you owned a slave, they were your property, right? And you were the free man. You never ate a meal, hung out with them, spent time with them. There were occasions where slaves could be adopted and become sons if they'd found the favor of, and they could actually become sons and heirs of the family. But most slaves, you were over here. Paul is actually coming to them. He's coming to slave owners in that time, and he's coming to those who are free. And he's saying, listen, you can't let that separate you anymore. Oh, hey, Jews over there that are believers in Jesus, you can't let that separate you anymore. Oh, Gentiles that think that, you know, being around Jews, Jews are crazy. Oh, you can't do that anymore. Hey, come on, y'all, get over here. Let, Let me just, one more thing I want to point out that's really been profound to me for years. Sometime go do a study of Jesus' 12 apostles. It's really interesting. He had a tax collector named Matthew Levi. Hated. Tax collectors were hated. They were seen in league with Rome. The, the, the Jewish people hated their own people turning to tax collecting because they saw them as being uh, those who had become traitors and given into the power of the state. And then there was a couple of people called zealots. Have you ever read that, zealots? Zealots are what we would call revolutionaries, freedom fighters. They believed that Rome needed to come down through military conquest, and they were doing everything they could behind the scenes to bring Rome down. And so what does Jesus do? He calls Simon the zealot and Matthew Levi. And he says, come on, guys. Come and be a part of my team. And then it says later he sent them out two by two. I I wonder if he sent Matthew, Levi, and Simon together. ever think about that? You see, that's the gospel. The gospel takes people that are out here on fringes, people that see each other as enemies, and says, hey, love each other. Come be together and be one in Jesus Christ. Because your identity is no longer your ethnicity. It's no longer your socioeconomic class. It's no longer your political party. It's no longer... Keep going. Your gender, it's none of that. Your identity is Jesus. Boy, I am stirring the pot today. I'm sure I've got somebody mad at me. And that ends with the last thing. We are children of Abraham and heirs of God's promise. Verse 29, and now that you belong to Christ... You are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. See, all the benefits that Jesus gained by being Abraham's descendant now belong to us for eternity. This includes, but it's not limited, think about some of these benefits, to the forgiveness of sins. This includes the forgiveness of sins. How many of you did something in your life that you feel really ashamed of? How many of you have done something in the last month you feel really ashamed of? How about the last week? How about the last day? How about on the way to church this morning? How about five minutes ago when you were thinking ugly thoughts about me? You see, all of that is cleansed by the blood of Christ. My past, I'm not that person anymore. If you knew Doug Sherman many, many years ago, you wouldn't like me, but I'm not that person. All of it's forgiven. It's gone. What about things like a new birth? Do you know it's actually possible to begin again? That's actually the message of the gospel. It's possible for you to begin life again. You might look back at your past and all the stuff you've done that you're ashamed of, and you might feel like, I'm done. But in Jesus Christ, right today, you can begin again. He is, you know, one of His names is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, and beginning is every day. Your mercies are new every morning. Paul says, though my outward man perishes, my inward man is renewed day by day. It's possible. For you to begin again. You can have a new birth. You can have the indwelling Holy Spirit. You ever think about this? As a Christian, this Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, and He's called the helper, the comforter, the teacher, The word is a Greek word, parakletos, and it means the one who comes alongside and upholds you and lifts you so that when you stumble and fall, he catches you so that when you're discouraged, he's next to you speaking so that when inside of you, you feel grief and you're mourning and you're struggling with things, you can say, Holy Spirit of God, I need your help. And he comes alongside you to help you, to point you to Jesus, to take you to the scripture, to be everything you need him to be. That's one of the benefits of being a child of God. God's love and his care and inheritance in this life, spiritual gifts, relationships, church family, eternal life. The scripture says that even though we die, yet we live. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die, but though he die, yet shall he live. I'm like, what? What's he saying? He said, your body might stop, but as soon as your body stops, it's like, goodbye, body, hello, Jesus. I'm looking on his face, and in, in the future, some kind of dwelling in a new heavens and a new earth and a new body. I'm looking forward to that one, right? A new body. Never gets weary, never ever decays, grows old, loses its hair, whatever Right? All of that's possible because of Jesus. And that's the and we have so much in Christ because of Jesus. All because of him. Why don't you stand with me?